All right, we're back with another Insignificant Others podcast. We're excited uh, tonight. We've got a fascinating guest named Richard Rafferty, and we're going to talk to him here in just a minute. But for those of you that are listening for the first time, Insignificant Others is not a knock on us. It's not a knock on our guest. It's just uh, the purpose of the Insignificant Others podcast is to illuminate and share unique and interesting stories about people. People that we met, people that we are blessed enough to have in our network. They're only insignificant because they're not famous. They're not Kim Kardashian. They're not Honey Boo Boo. They're not famous. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're insignificant. And as always, I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Robert Flint. Rob, how are you? Good, Brett. How are you doing? I'm doing great tonight. I'm really looking forward to this story tonight. Me too. Me too. Uh, before we get into that, we are, we are fresh off Thanksgiving. And with all of the uh, Christmas trees up and the Christmas lights up, I have, I have a very important question for you. All right, shoot. Um, are you a Thanksgiving person or a Christmas person? Definitely, definitely Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is, uh, uh, and I'm not talking about the reason behind it, but just the, the, my experience with it. Thanksgiving is a superior holiday. I, I I think it's the king of the holidays. Actually, the food is so good. Um, yes. I think I'm on the the outer belt loop now of my belt just because <laughs> I ate and drank so much. But you know, there, you can use a you can use a punch, a leather punch, to punch <laughs> in a new to get that get to to, to reach new uh, a new heights on your belt. Uh, but I, I don't want to reveal all of my secrets. But yeah, I'm yeah. a Thanksgiving person. I, I I've the older I get. The more I don't like Christmas, um, it's too much stress. It's way too much stress. Way too yeah. much stress. Uh, I like the four day holiday. Yeah. Right? Depending on yep. when you know Thanksgiving is always Thursday. You've got Friday to recover. You've got the whole weekend ahead of you. Right. Um, Christmas is just it's just a, a blitz of craziness. I'm there with you. I'm there with you. But, I, I've come back from uh, Thanksgiving relaxed, if not overweight. Well, that's More a, that's a good combination. Yeah. Relaxed and overweight. It is. It is. It's wonderful. Okay. <laughs> so, Richard, how about you? Thanksgiving or Christmas? Well, uh, Thanksgiving is a better holiday for people who have jobs because you get more days off. There you go. I mean, so, you know, you never know what's going to be happening between Christmas and New Year's. You might have to go to work. But with Thanksgiving, you generally know generally know that you're going to have more days off. And it's uh, um, my kids disagree because they get two weeks off for Thanksgiving and I get a day and a half. Yeah. That's a valid argument they have on their, their part though. So I'm not going to give away a lot of your story here, Richard, but we're going to get into it. So first of all, you're an attorney. Why did you want to go to law school? Um, sorry about that. I had to click. So, um, I actually went to law school for a couple different reasons. One was because I was a, uh, finance or finance major, depending on which part of Texas you come from, in 1987, graduating in 88, and the stock market at that time took the biggest fall that it's ever taken, ever. So um, I was in my senior year. I had two, I'm the youngest of five kids. I had two older sisters that were lawyers, and um, it was a bleak job market, and I was kind of talking to my sisters about it. I wasn't sure what I was going to do, and they said, you should take the LSAT. So I took the LSAT in fall of uh, 1987, and my interviews went bad, and the LSAT went pretty good. You, you did well on the LSAT. That's I did, what I hear. I, 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 did, I, I did good. But it, and, and I think it's funny that that's what you know about me, because it's like, it's like what, have, you know, what have I done lately? That was like almost 30 years ago. So, uh, you know, is, is, uh, we talked about this going into this, uh, this podcast, and we met probably nine years ago with Indian Princess. And that was one of the things, just because it's, you, you pretty much aced the LSAT, which is, in my mind, I mean, that's, that's a very impressive thing. You know, because first of all, I really, really didn't think you were that intelligent, but uh, it's a big deal, especially when you look at the statistics of uh, sure. how well, good that is. So that works a lot in my favor because um, <clears throat> this is, this kind of goes into negotiation theory and all that, but the, uh, I, I, I don't think that it, anyway, I, I'm very good at standardized tests. And, and I did, I, the LSAT is a, is a uh, you know, uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Curve. I mean, it's graded on a curve. So I didn't, it's not that I didn't miss any questions, but I got that at, at the time it's graded on a different scale now, but I got the highest score that you could get, which doesn't mean I didn't miss any questions. There's probably people who did better, but I, I got the highest score that you could get. And so I think the way it usually comes up now that I'm an adult is people say, well, you know, how did you end up at Cal Berkeley? You know, you were a kid from Texas. How did you end up at Cal Berkeley? And sort of the, the, uh, if you know anything about California demographics and all this stuff, it's, it's like the, the, the subtle part of that question is how did you end up a white guy at Cal Berkeley? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, or better yet, a white Texan at Cal Berkeley. And I'm like, well, rather I, than an Asian. Yeah. Or, or, you know, or anything else where they're, I mean, it, it, I wasn't a diversity candidate. Right. And so, I mean, you know, they, they weren't like, let's, let's get more white guys from Texas to enroll. So. And it was, it was because I'd done well enough on the LSAT that they wanted me to go to school there. So, um, which is because I usually don't like start conversations by saying, Hey, I'm Richard Rafferty and I got a great grade on the LSAT. See, I think I would start a conversation because <laughs> I don't have anything else. <laughs> well, but as I said 30 years ago, it's like what that Janet Jackson song, What Have You Done For Me Lately? Right. And yeah. that was a long time ago. <laughs> did, did you peek at the LSAT? Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it was, it's, it, it, yeah, pretty much. No, yeah. that was, well, since we're talking about, since we're talking about Christmas, I was, you know, no, I, anyway, no, I was more like Jesus. I, per, I peaked at 35. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I'm curious, and we talked about this a little bit, but your reasons for going to, to Berkeley Law School. Share with us uh, a little bit about that. Yeah, it's, it's, um, so I was, a. Uh, you know, I said business undergrad at Texas and, and, um, I was, you know, decided that I, you know, that given what was going on in the stock market, I'd go to law school instead because I liked, I liked putting together transactions. And, uh, I thought that the way that things get done on a transactional basis was interesting. And so, and I also realized that I had about the attention span of a gnat. So I wanted to go to law school to be an entertainment lawyer because I felt like movies, like the idea of putting together a film deal had a had a start, a beginning, and end, and then you could just forget about it. You didn't have to remember about it later. Uh, so I actually went to i I went to law school in California because I wanted to be an entertainment lawyer because I wanted to put together movie deals. Uh, it didn't quite work out that way, but I realized that M and A in securities, like what I do now, is close enough in terms of. Uh, there's a beginning and an end. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end, and you don't have to worry about it. You know, I mean, it it. it it's a, it's, it's, it's solving a puzzle. It's not, it's not working on an assembly line, if that makes sense. And so you kind of, you know, every, every day is kind of a new day, a new puzzle to solve. But the, uh, cause I don't think I could survive doing the same thing every day for very long. I'd get bored. And now what you spend most of your time doing is M&A stuff, right? Yeah. I've always done mergers and acquisitions. Um, and, uh, that's, that's, that's been like a constant part of my career since I started. So but, did you try to pursue the entertainment? Avenue at all? When I was in law school, yeah. I worked at um I worked it at MGM Studios for a semester. I got credit. I got law school credit for working at MGM Studios. Um I, I designed my own entertainment law clinical and um which they were pretty willing to do at Cal Berkeley. And um but I I did it and I spent a summer working uh in as a uh I mean, I spent summer working at summer associates at law firms, but I spent a summer working in entertainment law um, program as a summer associate. And um, but it, it by the time it all played out, I realized that that probably wasn't going to pan out that well for me, and I'd rather live in Texas where I could buy a house. Um, and yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of I, I love Southern California, I love Northern California. They're two different countries as far as I'm concerned, but it's just a lot different of a, of a proposition to be a kid that grew up in the Midwest trying to figure out what it's like to live in LA. Right. Right. With crime, high taxes, bad schools and yeah. all that. <laughs> so, so, so working around young, attractive movie starlets was just not for you. <clears throat> you know, the funny thing about it is that wasn't, there was a lot of kids um, in law school who went in entertainment law because I thought it was glamorous, but that wasn't the part that I liked. I liked, I liked the idea of, um, I liked the finance side of it and I liked putting together the, um, the deals. Yeah. The deals. And, and, um, and the reality is that dealing, I mean, at least from my perspective as a person who didn't actually practice entertainment law, I was just a summer, summer clerk is that that part of it was actually the worst. Like dealing with, with, um, celebrity personalities was actually considered to be, almost like the psychotic part of it because um and that would be 
it's like babysitting almost to a degree. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. like you hear some of the contracts and like some of the writers of contracts of what you, people have to have in their dressing room. If you don't get it just right, they throw a big hissy fit. Yeah, no, there, there was definitely that part of it. That's yeah. But there's, um, but, um, if you, if you take sort of the typical movie star, they're, they're very, very good at their job and they're very, very well compensated. Um, but, and I'm not speaking about, you know, this isn't definitely across the board, but they're not necessarily well educated. That doesn't mean that they're not good at their jobs. It doesn't mean they're not smart people, but they're not particularly well educated. And so you put them in a bunch of room, you put them in a room with, with lawyers who are working at these high dollar, you know, West Coast. Overeducated. Yeah, yeah, overeducated people. And it, and it, it's, it's, there could be some weird ego things that go on because there's like, I know that I'm not a good actor, but a good actor doesn't want. Yeah, a lot they, of they think they're a good lawyer. They don't want to. They don't. You know, I, 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 I'm not trying to be the best actor in the room. If I'm, if I'm dealing with, with, I hate to say this word, the talent, but the talent didn't want to be viewed as the least smart people in the room. So you, you realize now that you're on this podcast, you are the talent. <laughs> I'm the I mean, talent. You're, you're the talent. <laughs> the tables well, have turned. And, and that's a really saying. The talent is a really obnoxious thing to say, but it's kind of you know there was there was kind of this this um, I'm trying to think of, of I mean there's obviously there's a lot of uh, people in show business that are very very smart people, but there's a lot of people in show business that are great at being you know actors and actresses, but that doesn't mean they know a lot about finance or anything else other than you know anyway. So but, when you, when you were an intern at MGM, yeah. please tell me that you were not interning um, and working on the Waterworld deal. <laughs> no, no. Well, so that would have been around the same time frame, is right? That, is that what what ended your 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 short lived? <laughs> well, it's funny. The two movies that were being made the semester I was there were a Jamie Lee Curtis movie called Blue Steel. Oh, I remember Blue Steel and Rocky Five. Rocky, Rocky Five. Rocky Five. I'm as tall as Sylvester Stallone, by the way. Really? Yeah. Wow, I stood, I stood next to him on a on a set where they were where they were filming um, some argument, and he wasn't in it. He was, in, and I'm sort of there's there's five or six people that are acting, and then there's just a whole crowd of people milling about. And I was standing there, and I'm five eight, right? And I'm standing there in my cowboy boots, and there's a guy standing next to me in his cowboy boots, and we looked at each other's boots, we looked at each other's faces, and it was Sylvester Stallone, and he's just about as tall as me. Wow. Which means he's a little bit taller than than Tom Cruise. Yeah, <laughs> I saw Mark Wahlberg getting off a plane one time. Yeah, and he is tiny. I mean, I would if he's five eight, it, it, maybe he's around five eight. Now he was tiny also because he probably has no body fat. Yeah. You know, he, he looks rocked up when he's on uh, on the movie screen. But I was surprised at how little he was. I thought you know from some of his movies that he's you know big and. Did he ask about your mom and your family and how they're doing? <laughs> How's mom and them? <laughs> no, thank goodness. But you were you were almost an actor. I mean, you were talent because in your role as uh, expert commentary, <laughs> you were actually on TV a couple you're, times. You're killing me with this. Now. Yeah, you you're bad mouthing the talent, and I've got to bring you back to being the talent. So, so I remember around the time that we met, I turned on CNBC and I'm watching it. And there's Richard Rafferty on CNBC. Well, I remembered that somehow our Indian guides troop found out about it but i wasn't sure how were you the person who like sent it all the link to all of them yeah i'm guilty that was pretty funny actually um so yeah i mean so my law firm was trying to raise our profile and we had hired a a public relations firm to help us do that and like you know they just they just field these public relations firms just field phone calls from reporters you know yeah that are you know tell us about the you know, tell us how, how, you know, anyway, give us, give us, I'm trying to think of something that's. So, like, so they have some kind of topic they want to talk about and they, we need somebody to talk about it. Yeah. Like in an hour. Yeah. yeah. So you didn't get a lot of preparation, didn't know a lot of the questions and. No. And, and so, so twice, I only did it twice, but twice I was on through the efforts of this PR firm. I was on, um, like at, one of them was power lunch, CNBC power lunch. That was probably the one that you saw. And they put you in this room. It's really funny if you, you know. Where, where do you go to do that? You go, you go to the studio. And the local NBC studio? Or? No, I didn't go to the local NBC studio. I went to, I, you can, I guess, if you're 
talking to Matt and Al and Savannah and whoever else. But if but I went to some studio, I went to a production facility in North Dallas off the tollway, just a little bit north of Bentry Country Club. And I was sitting, I was I was in a room and it was me and a camera. No monitor. How do you you just hear them? Do you have an earpiece and that's the only way that you I had an earpiece and and I said, can I get a monitor? And they said, we really recommend that you don't get a monitor because you'll stare at the monitor instead of staring at the camera. Like the way that you take it. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, and, and so it looks like you're, you know, you're looking at your, you're looking in the wrong place. And so it was really funny. They actually put this pair of googly eyes on the camera so that you would view the camera as being a face. And so when you're, you know, when you see these talking heads on TV, on any show where they've got, um, you know, whoever it might be, the Reverend Al Sharpton, you know, and then uh, whoever else might be, you know, arguing with uh, Bill O'Reilly. Yeah. And they all look like they're looking at each other. They're not looking at each other. They're looking at a camera with a googly eyes on it. That's funny. And, it, and I didn't even have a monitor. And it was, it was, uh, that, that, um, that was, um, um, that was not fun. At least the, fir- the first time I did it, it wasn't very much fun. I was much looser the second time because you don't know what they're going to hit you with. You're just sitting there and, and they might say, you know. Uh, so it t- could be something you know nothing about. <laughs> yeah, t- tell, tell, us about the, tell us about the atomic weight of plutonium. I mean, you, have, you, know, yeah. you don't know what they're going to ask you. And if you're stumped, you then default to, I ace the LSAT? <laughs> no, no. They, 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 they would not have been impressed by that. But I, all I remember is everybody in my law firm was watching it. because It was a live national TV, and everybody in my law firm was watching it. And I knew that they were watching it. In, in a, in the Which makes it worse. Yeah. Oh, it was totally awful. And, uh, and the very first question they asked me, I paused just like that. And, and I know that everybody who knows me well thought that I was just going to like get up and walk out of the room <laughs> <laughs> that I was never going to recover because it was, there was like this pause like that where I was basically trying to figure out what the answer was to the question. I was just asked. I had no idea what was coming. <laughs> kind of like now. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. But, 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 but it was different because I was promoting myself as a knowledgeable professional and you know, if, I mean, we're doing this, you know, for business development to get clients, and you don't want to say, you know, uh, I have no clue. Stupid. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know. And oh, by the way, this is the way I treat my clients. Yeah. Well, you don't, you don't want to. I was trying to think, you know, the, uh, you know, who's buried in Lenin's tomb? You know, you don't, yeah. you don't want to, you don't want to come up with a stupid answer to an obvious question. And so your your firm advertises, yeah, Richard's uh, hourly rate was four hundred dollars an hour. Now it's down to fifty. Yeah, now it's down you to can 50. get him. Well, uh, there's a great deal. <laughs> Well, the, um, so yeah, so the Brett started us out by saying that he had no idea I was that, you know, that I was smart enough to, to do well in the LSAT and, and the, when I actually took the LSAT and then particularly early in my career, when I was trying to learn as much as I could from other people by shutting up and listening, it was, there was, um, there was kind of two different, well, anyway, what uh, I almost slept through the LSAT. <laughs> and and I think that everybody who heard the way I took it was surprised that I actually even did well on it because I I was going to I was going to I was attending the University of Texas and I decided at a relatively late date that I was going to take the LSAT and so I couldn't get in to any of the testing centers in Austin I had to take it in San Antonio and um, do you guys remember when little Jessica McClure fell down that well? Oh, oh yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Was, I, I How could you forget? I took it that weekend. So, so I was, you know, I was a college student. I had no money at all, you know, other than what I was spending on beer. And and I had to go to San Antonio to take the test, and it began at I'll say it began at eight thirty in the morning. So, so drove, you leave Austin at eight? No, I drove down. I drove down <laughs> the night before while Jessica McClure was still stuck in the well on on Friday night. <laughs> And um, and I drove down the night before, and I checked into a, a travel lodge motel uh, with Sleepy the Bear. Yeah, yeah, I know it. And and there's so many. And and, and uh, I brought my own alarm clock because I didn't trust the front desk at the Sleepy Bear Travel Lodge to actually wake me up on time. So I brought my own alarm clock. I plugged it in. I watched Miami Vice because, of course, it was a Friday night. You know, I took a couple <laughs> practice tests. I saw Jessica McClure, you know, get fished out of the well and all this stuff. And and I went to bed at like maybe two o'clock in the morning. I plugged in my alarm clock and and I set it to wake up at six so I could like warm up my brain, you know, by taking you know just thinking about logic issues before I took the L set. And um, 
so I plugged my alarm clock into the wall and I went to bed and, and I woke up what, you know, I was only going to sleep for like five hours. I woke up and it felt like I'd only been asleep for two hours. I'm like, there's, even though I feel kind of awake, I mean, I got to make sure I get enough sleep. I'm going to force myself to go back to sleep. So force myself to go back to sleep. I woke up again and I'm like, well, crap, I've woken up for the second time. It must be tough for me to get up. Well, what I didn't realize is that when I turned uh, my, I, when I plugged my alarm clock into the wall, I plugged into an outlet that was controlled by a light switch. Oh no. And so when I turned <laughs> off the light in my room, I turned off my alarm clock. So I was supposed to be at the testing center at, at like, we'll say 7.30. And do you remember in The Great Gatsby how there was that giant pair of glasses? You know, there was like, God is watching you. Yeah. So anyway, so I opened up the the, the curtains, my blackout <laughs> curtains, my sleepy, <laughs> the better travel lodge. And across the street from here, there was a bank. Across the street from here, there was a bank that had a clock. And it was and it was like, almost like the scene from The Great Gatsby. It's like flashing like 7.20 a.m. <laughs> and I'm supposed to, I haven't checked out of the hotel yet. I'm supposed to be at UT San Antonio at 7.30 to take the LSAT. And so I'm sure everybody there had a similar reaction to you, Brett, to the idea that of the way I present versus the way I actually am, which is um, I decided that the only way they were going to let me to take it, that if I, I got there a little bit late, obviously, and I decided that given an opportunity, they were going to throw me out, right? So I needed to make sure they didn't throw me out. So I decided I was just going to bang into the testing center as loud as I could and disrupt things until just they sat me. have a big entrance in there? <laughs> yeah. So they hadn't started yet. I banged into the testing center and I was, you know. like Kind of like the graduate? Yeah, almost. You know, kind yeah. of. Yeah, well, I wasn't banging on the church door. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. okay, okay. But I, but I, I just sort of, I charged in. I made a lot of noise, you know, and until they sat me. And um, the very first thing they do on the LSAT, at least they did back then, I don't know what the hell they do now, is you have to write, there's an essay, which isn't graded and schools can get it if they want. I swear, I was like holding the pencil with both hands because I was so wor- wired and worked up at the fact that I barely got there. I mean, I'm sure it looked like a, a, a psycho killer's grocery list, but I had to write out this essay and it was completely illegible. And then the LSAT at that time was, you took six sections, but only four of them were graded and two of them were test sections, but you didn't know which two were test sections. So I'm taking the LSAT, I'm taking the LSAT. I'm, I'm on question number 50 of a section and I'm, and I realize I'm bubbling in question 49. Oh, so, so somewhere, so somewhere. So I, now it makes sense. You got lucky. <laughs> so somewhere I've missed, so somewhere I've missed a question and I'm, and I'm backtracking and erasing and backtracking. And erasing. Oh no. And, and, so I'm positive that when they actually saw my score, they said, how is it that this guy got like zero on this test section, <laughs> but he actually did well on the exam? You're a savant. That's what it comes so down was, to. So was your essay on... Um, I, can't, I can't remember. On, on, on the uh, enlightenment of Don Johnson... Yeah. And 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 baby Jessica or whatever her name was. Well, hell, if baby Jessica was wearing pastel colors, yes. she wouldn't have never <laughs> fallen down that well. Yeah, yeah. no, I don't think it. I don't think it was, it was Midland Vice. <laughs> well, let's face it. I mean, Jessica was pushed. Yeah, <laughs> by the government. Well, no, it was Obama. It, by Obama. I mean, I mean, she fell down this tiny little hole that she only could have gone down if her heads were, if her hands were above her head. She was pushed. That kid was pushed. Oh, okay, conspiracy theorist. <laughs> so let's go back. Let's go back to your time on TV. So what that, that first time? What what were you asked to talk about? Um, speak on. Whether or not buyouts are good for shareholders in corporate America. That see, that sounds horribly boring. And, and that wasn't on primetime? That surprises me. Well, it's a 24-hour news channel, right? <laughs> but, but, but you've been on twice, correct? Yes. Yeah. So what, what was, the, was the second time around better than the first? The second time around, I felt like I was set up a little bit more. Is that what she said? No. <laughs> <laughs> the, second, the, the second time around, I was... Uh, um, I was talking about Bernie Madoff, and the topic was whether or not people who made money under Bernie Madoff should have to give should have to give up their money to people who lost money. Okay, and I'm like, oh, that's easy, you know. So, what um, was your stance on that? Well, they told me what my stance would be that I would be the guy who said no, and which is pretty easy to say. Right? I mean, it's like it's not. I mean, in other words, unless they were parties to the fraud. Yeah. Right. Why? Yeah. So this is point counterpoint, and they said you're your counterpoint. 
Yeah, they told me what my point was. Well, what I didn't realize is that I was going up against a plaintiff's attorney who was representing a bunch of people like widows and orphans who'd lost everything and felt that they should get their money back. Right. So did you feel <laughs> rotten afterward? Did you? No, not really because um, because you're talking about – I mean, look, there's there's no – even the people who didn't get ripped off by Bernie, nobody made like 10 times their money back. And yeah. so I, I couldn't see going up to – another retiree in Long Island, right? And saying, sorry, your retiree next door got ripped off by Bernie. The money that we gave you five years ago that you've since spent, you now need to give back. I didn't right. think, you know, right. it wasn't their fault. And, and if they, you know, obviously if they knew what was happening, there's other ways to get the money back, but I didn't think that it. Now, were you interviewed by Maria Bartiromo? No, I said, I, I never even saw the face of the person. I was okay. You saw googly eyes. I, I was talking to googly eyes. Were you pretending remember. as if you were talking to Maria? Um, I'm, you know, this was, this was a fuzzy week in my life. And so, uh, I don't quite recall. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Mr. Reagan. All right. Uh, so I do want to switch gears here a little bit with you because, uh, talking about googly eyes, your, your, your beautiful date is, is joining us. She's listening to us and trying to act like she's interested, which is really nice of her. But, uh, so you're. She's taking pictures. She, yeah, that, what, she's the photographer. I hope she has a wide-angle lens on that camera. She's photographing the talent. <laughs> so you are a uh, a divorced father of two, right? Yes, yeah. So tell me, what are the challenges uh, of being a divorced father of two? I mean, there's there's got to be numerous ones, but you want to make sure you're a good dad, and, and plus you're, 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 you're dating now and everything. But that was, what, about four years ago? Um, six, six. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It seems time flies when you're having fun. Um, <laughs> well, so we are pretty fortunate because we live in a community that's really kid focused and kid centric and it's all about the education and, you know, making sure your kids do good. Which can have a double edged sword there because everybody knows your business. Yeah. And, and what I would say is I say this without it being considered, you know, there's no negative associated with this, but it, it, it really is a community that is, um, that is driven by the moms. And so, right. so, right. um, you know, I, I haven't had a large opportunity to talk to single moms in the community about it, but as a single dad, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of, it's, you're a little bit invisible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you, so you sort of, you know, you realize that your kids are getting a great education and they're doing all this stuff, but it's, there's, I had this conversation with my brother a few years ago because I was, I was talking to him about it. My, and my brother's brother-in-law is divorced and my brother is married. He married, uh, you know, he's married to a woman who went to Texas with, with, uh, around the same time I did. Um, and, um, and his kids were raised in, in a great suburb in Houston, great suburb in Jacksonville and a great suburb in Little Rock. So they've always lived in these really great communities. And his, his wife was like, you know, president of PTA at some point and they're super involved. I mean, they've, right, you know, right. everywhere they go. And, and, and I was trying to talk to my brother, how kind of, it was a little bit isolating to be a divorced dad, you know, uh, raising kids, no matter how good the neighborhood is. And my brother's like, oh, but you live in a great neighborhood. And I'm like, well, you've lived in a couple of great neighborhoods. When was the last time you had a divorced dad over for dinner? Yeah, yeah. And the, I mean, and it's not, there's nothing, there's no judgment about that, but you just don't fit the mold. And, and a lot of it is really driven by the moms because they do, even the working moms do a lot of volunteering and stuff like that. That is a glue that holds the community together. Well, I mean, <clears throat> but think, yeah. I mean everything that, that I do is driven in terms of social. Yeah. Is driven by my wife. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's making the plans. Yeah. You know, she's telling me where I need to be, you know, on what day and at what time. And so, Without that influence in, in my life, I mean, I can I can imagine that I would be in the same boat. No, no, and it's really, I mean, you know, obviously there's games and things like that, but it's it's, um, but it, you know, we're, I mean, I go to my kids' games. My kids aren't really heavily involved in athletics, but they have been. Aiden, my son, my younger son now plays basketball, and he's on a golf team. But you know, it's still, it's it's not, it's it's a little bit. You still feel a little bit like you know, you're like you know. Can I mean, you, you feel a little bit like you're not really part of it. But that that being said, I, I heard I like something that. similar from uh, another mutual friend. I don't know if y'all know him well, but he went through the same thing to where his wife is, you know, kind of didn't miss a beat to a degree with yeah. everything that was going on, and she had her network and her her foundation of support, and he was 
kind of persona non grata for a while. Yeah, I don't know that I was necessarily. I don't think that people were mad at me. No, it's it's not. No, it's. I'm not saying mad or anything. It's not taking sides. It's just that. Yeah. You know, your ex-wife probably drove the social plans. Yeah, yeah, she was definitely much more involved in it. Yeah, yeah. and and so it's got to be a little bit challenging on that side. So yeah, no, definitely. The one the one question I have, and and this is this is you know grass is greener on the other side. Um, So. When I think about my divorced friends, and you know, just being in the throes of raising children, bring you know, having to, having to deal with that, uh, the thought, the, the thought that every once in a while pops up in my mind is, gee, wouldn't it be nice not to have, you know, or have a break about that, have a, yeah, have no. a break, and so. Um, is that something that this is such a Howard Stern conversation? <laughs> he used to have those. It's like I don't want to get myself. I love my wife, here. but if she died of cancer, what would be the first thing what I would, would I do? do? Yeah, what would I do? Um, no, but you know what I mean. You're no, a great father. We're all great dads. We all know each other here. Sure, um, there's definitely a rhythm that comes up. I mean, but you know, it's the, what I would say is that any any evening or day that I have my kids, it's just me. Yeah, and so that. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, I love my kids like crazy, but you know, it's, it's, it's a zone defense. It's not one on one. Yeah. And, and so, um, so it's, you know, nothing happens unless I make it happen. And, and there's, you know, so it's, it's, and if you're, you know, I mean, it, 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 there's no downtime when you have them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so there, there's definitely a bit of a rhythm where it's like 100% focused on my kids. Versus, I'm not even seeing them today. Yeah, and and um, you know, and it takes it took a little bit of getting used to. Yeah, I would think that's so. gonna be tough. Yeah, and and you know, it, it's I mean the the first the first six or seven months or so were just awful. Yeah, but yeah, but you get used to it. Where it's like, okay, these are the nights I don't have my kids, and so you know, I'll, you know, I'll go see a basketball, I'll take a client to go see a basketball game, or or uh, you know, I'll I'll watch the shows I can't watch when they're with me. So how have you <laughs> how have you met your dates? How did y'all meet? Eighth grade. Really? Yeah, I was tutoring at the middle school. Yeah, but the bad thing is, is pretty soon you're going to go okay. through all of wait, those wait, eighth wait, grade tutoring girls. Tutoring at the eighth grade middle. Do we need to cue some music in the back in the background, like boom, chicka bow, bow, kind of? <clears throat> no, we actually. She was to, in the first grade. We, no, we 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 met in junior high. Oh wow! Well, did not know that. But we we met in junior high. It's but a small we, world. But we uh, we knew each other, but we didn't really hang out a lot. Uh, and then we ran into each other at our thirtieth high school reunion. So the real story is she totally had the hots for you, but she didn't have enough nerve to like bust a move. Um, no, I was just incredibly shy. It took me thirty-five years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <clears throat> There's Wendy's heard this joke so many times that she'll cringe when I say it again. Uh, look, she's cringing already. So, so um, if I don't know if you guys where you guys grew up, but they're you know like the. The, the the youth organization, the sort of citywide youth organization for Jewish kids is BYO, Benibereth Youth Organization. Yeah, Benibereth Youth Organization. And so people who've known us for a long time are like, why didn't you guys date in high school? I was like, well, she was BBYO, I was BYOB. <laughs> Wendy, thought, Wendy thought that was funny the first time. She yeah, did. after the thousandth time, not so much. <laughs> She's laughing now. Yeah, she's she. That that's uh, that's just nice <laughs> laughter. That's she's like, oh, honey, that's so funny. <laughs> so, so the other topic that I want to get into with Richard, which I find fascinating, you and I talked about this before. You're the father of a gender dysphoric child. Is yes. that the right way to say it? Uh, yeah, sure. And this is this is. I, I was wondering when the interesting part of knowing me was going to come around. No, it's... <laughs> well, no. It, I I find the topic fascinating, and uh, especially talking with you last night, night before last, when we talked about it. I thought your take on this and and how you've dealt with this is is very admirable, what? and and I think that it's going to be enlightening for a lot of. For all of our listeners, all all five of them. Well, so the first so the first time that I think I talked to you and Susie about it was this summer at we were we we were all we were Wendy and I were there, but you and Susie were at Bob Schneider. Bob Schneider, yeah. yeah. And um and you know as as a guy who was in my Indian princesses troop, you know you you remember Tay as remember Tay as one of the girls. Yeah, Tay was one of the girls had you know more than shoulder length hair, running around wearing skirts and all this stuff. But, um, but 
uh, yeah, it was my, my, uh, so Tay, uh, is, Tay is, how do I, how do I, you know, the, the verbs and all this present past tense and everything gets a little bit weird, but, but Tay about two years ago, uh, told her mom and I that, um, and I refer to her as her at the time because that's how I viewed her as being my daughter, that she felt like she was a boy. And, um, you know, so how did that take place? Did, uh, were you and Kara together in the same room? Did she do it separately? No, she did it separately. Just, and we kind of coincided them so that she could. No, there was sort of, there were, so for, I think I used this phrase with you when I was talking before about how there's sort of, I call there's kind of the today show trans kids who are very camera ready and want to talk about how, you know, from the time they were two years old, they want, you know, if they were a boy, they were born a boy, they wanted to wear dresses and all this stuff or play with Barbies. Um, and that isn't how Tay was like, you know, when Tay, when, when Tay was, a uh, you know, young Tay wasn't like, I want to play with fire trucks, you know, didn't, didn't dress very tomboyish or do any of this stuff. And so, um, I think for, for, for Tay, it wasn't, um, uh, it, it, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. but, but about three or four years ago, Tay, who'd always been kind of shy, just kept getting more and more shy, like more and more withdrawn. But, um, and this, this is as you're going through the divorce. Yeah. And so you, so you, you think know, it's, yeah, yeah. You know, you don't know if if your child is just upset or feeling confused about what's going on with, with their parents, because you know, the reality is I'm not embarrassed to say this, but you know, my ex-wife and I just don't get along. Like we, we had a, we had a pretty, um, difficult divorce. We had pretty high conflict divorce. And, uh, it was like, took us like three years, over three years to resolve custody stuff. And that's got to be traumatic for the yeah. kids. Yeah. And, and it's not a matter of whether or not I felt strongly about the way things ought to be or Kara felt strongly. We both felt very strongly. We just happened to feel on complete opposite sides of things. And, um, you know, that can happen, unfortunately. So, but the kids get stuck in the middle and they can get confused because, you know, they love both their parents and, you know, it, it gets really confusing. So you're kind of trying to sort out whether or not your kid, being a little bit withdrawn is, you know, kids, it's tough on kids. Yeah. So, but around, it was, it was, it was actually like, it was almost two years ago. It was kind of like February of 2014. So <clears throat> I'd realized that Tay was kind of getting more and more withdrawn. And I decided that the, that the thing to do was to send Tay to summer camp. Mm-hmm. So, um, and Karen and I had talked about this off and on for the year over years and we decided that it was a good idea. So we, we were going to send Tay to Camp Ozark um, in summer of 2014. But in the meantime, I had the kids spring break 2014 and I wanted to take them on, I want to take them on a cruise because I don't have to cook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> so, Cause you know, it's not a vacation for me if I'm having to cook three meals a day. So um, I booked a cruise and Tay still had long hair, but Tay sort of announced to me that it wasn't really necessary to, for Tay to shave legs anymore or armpits because boys don't have to. And, and, but didn't say, I feel like a boy. This is like February, you know, and, 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 and I, I, the only time in my life where I've literally had a shouting match with my child through a closed bedroom door was over this topic because I said, you know, if Tay had come to me and said, I feel like I'm a boy and I want to, it would have been yeah, a yeah. conversation. But Tay said, I just don't feel like shaving my legs. <clears throat> and, and I'm thinking, okay, so I've got a, I've got a daughter who's, you know, on the verge of puberty, if not actually going through it already, um, that is going to show up poolside in a bikini with unshaved legs and hairy armpits. And that just ain't going to fly. Right. I mean, right. not, not because, because of, it's not, it doesn't grease the social, you know, right. interactions. Right. right. And I was trying to talk to Tay because I felt that Tay was shy and, and wasn't really, um, sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Making friends sounds harsher than I mean for it to, but because Tay was shy, social. yeah, Tay wasn't naturally, you know, making friends. And I was trying to say, look, this is how you make friends. You go up and you introduce yourself. You remember names. You talk, you ask people questions about all the stuff about how you make friends. Right. And I basically was trying to say, look, you know, if you do this, it's, 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 it's going to put a barrier between you and other people. Right. Because right. They, they, because they won't know what to make of it. And you're sending a mixed signal. And, and if, 
if that's a signal you want to send, that's okay. But if you don't want to send that signal, you don't want to send that signal. And, and Tay wouldn't come out and say that that's what the signal that. So how much before when she came out and said that she wanted to be a boy? That was about, well, the, the whole not shaving legs thing was about six months before. Six months prior. Yeah. And then, but the real shocker for me, I think you were actually there that morning because didn't, did, did you, does, did Charlie go to Ozark? Yeah, Charlie did. Fourth session. I think I saw you guys that morning. Yeah. So Charlie and Annie both went there. Uh, and then Annie now goes with her older sister to a different camp. But yeah. Okay. So, so, um, I, so after Ozark, Ozark is when it kind well, of, it, it, it gets, it, it gets more interesting. So I had, I had gone through this long, complicated negotiation bar. Well, well, you know, there are a bunch of Aggies at Ozark. So, that might have something to do with it. <laughs> it's it, the Aggie influence. Well, it is in Arkansas. But, the, um, but you know, I was basically, I was trying to instill in, in Tay, this is, you know, it's easy to make friends. You just have to talk to people. Right. And so I was, you know, trying to do this whole thing. And um, for months. Which is easy for you to talk to people. So it's, well, you're. you're well, and I, and I felt that my, that my kid, you know, Tay's not a hateful kid. Tay isn't an awful person or anything like that. I felt that it was just a matter of if people get to know you, they'll like you. And, you know, and, right. and it was clear that, that Tay was having trouble sort of fitting in and making friends. And so I was doing this whole, this how you make friends thing. And, um, for literally months before I was arc and, 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 uh, the night. So the week leading up to Ozark, Tay was with Kara and, and I bargained with Tay. I was like, look, shave your legs before you go. I don't care what you do once you get there, but you're going to show up with shaved legs. And Ozark, I don't care. Once you get there, I don't care what right. you do, but you're going to show what you So this is long. And I, and I showed up the morning of Camp Ozark and Tay's hair was cut so short, like short as it's ever been. She cut it at camp? No, Kara Prior to and camp. Tay cut it the day before camp. Okay. And looked like a boy. And so at this point, Tay hadn't said, you know, I feel like a boy, like I'm a boy, but I'm checking Tay in Ozark. And it's like, I'm checking with her. What? How old's your son? I'm like, not my son, my daughter. You know, and everyone, I mean, everyone at Ozark is like, so tell me, what's his name? Not his name, her name. Right. And, and, and I was upset with Kara because I'm like, right. You right. Know, you're, you're setting, this kid is being set apart yeah. from, you know, what would, you know, it's okay to be an individual, but you don't want to, you know, the idea at this point, if she's having trouble making friends is for her to like do her best. Assimilate. Yeah. And, um, and so Kara and I had a conversation that day about how, Tay had been talking to Kara about, she wasn't sure about these things and all this. And it just, you know, it was, it went kind of South that day, but over the next couple months, I, I think it was like a week before school started that when Tay got back from Ozark, Tay had clearly made friends and had done well there. And by talking to people and was feeling much more confident than I'd seen Tay in a long time. And I think that confidence led Tay a couple weeks later to say that, that she, you know, dad, I, I feel like I'm a boy. And I kind of go back and forth between she and he because at that time I still right. you be my dog. And so yeah, because because now you refer to Tay as he, your I, son. Yeah, I would say yeah. I would say most of the time. Sometimes I slip. Yeah, but most of the time I try and, and have it be he. Um, so what was that like for you <clears throat> as a father to, to have your child say that? Well, so as you probably have picked up when I say that um, Tay. Had, kind of had a hard time making friends. I mean, I, I'd seen my happy child that would skip down the street become a kid that was less happy and more withdrawn. Yeah. And so, you know, you don't just kind of go, you, you don't just kind of say, Hey, my, you know, my kid has, has, you know, my, my kid says that she feels like she's a boy there for, oh, yeah, or all over, just going to, you know, change our lives. So we obviously talked to doctors and, and psychologists and things and, um, to, um, kind of, you know, get a grip on what was going on. And, you know, there's, there was a bit of an education process on our side, but, um, we, we very quickly came to the conclusion that, um, that this is something that, that this sounds so touchy feely, you know, Berkeley hippie, but that it was something that Tay was going to have to work out. And the worst thing that we could do was to say that Tay was wrong. Yeah. You discount her feelings on this and it's, yeah, could it's, be and it's bad. Yeah, and it's bad. And I mean, it gets it's it's very bad. Uh, you know, there's there's basically a really high uh, suicide or yeah. attempted suicide rate amongst kids who who kind of go through this where their parents 
kind of fight them on it. And so a lot of the advice we got was that you shouldn't encourage or discourage. But accept. You should just yeah. go with the flow. Right. And see how it all plays out. So that was kind of, you know, almost two years ago now. Or I guess that was, by this time it's now 18 months ago. It was the beginning of seventh grade. And let me tell you, middle school <sighs> is awful. Yeah, Middle school is awful for everybody. Yeah. To yeah. be going so- through something that, um, I don't want to say socially unacceptable, but for yeah, no, sep- middle school kids, socially confused. I mean, I mean, well, I, I, you know, and and we've talked about this. It's, if if that would have happened back when I was going through middle school, I'm sure that we would have all been extremely cruel. And it sounds like the kids have not been, maybe not fully accepting, but at least haven't been. Yeah, well, I th- mean, so one of the one of the psychologists we talked to, I think, really summed it up really well, which is that, you know, when you're talking to middle school boys or middle school, you know, middle school kids in general, they're trying to figure out who they are. And so if you're a middle school boy, that's trying to figure out your, 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 uh, where you place in the whole boy pecking order, you don't want to have anything at all to do with Tay. Right. Right. And if you're a middle school girl, that's trying to figure out where you fit in the whole middle school girl pecking order. You don't want to have anything at all to do with Tay. I mean, their, their kids are so busy trying to decide who they are that, to kind of look outside sort of normative behavior and, in, in, you know, sort of symbolic, symbolically embrace somebody, you know, who's, who's outside, you know, the norm, it's, 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 it's a lot to ask from a right. 11 to 13 year old kid. Right. And so, but I do give, Tay hasn't come to me and said that kids were mean. Um, I know, you know, Taya said that, that there's, you know, that kids have talked behind his back, but you know, I mean, yeah, no, that's, yeah, I mean, that's that, you know, that's, that's not awful in the big scheme of things. Uh, he hasn't been really dramatic about it. Like, so Oh, somebody says something. having a middle school boy uh, and, and, and you do too, but, uh, having a middle school boy means that she probably got a, lo- a lobotomy and started <laughs> acting like a complete idiot. I mean, <laughs> it seems like middle school was about for me. Yeah, well, um, yeah, and there's differences between what I would say gender and sexuality and all that stuff. And uh, she, uh, Tay as a girl was not boy crazy, and Tay as a boy is not girl crazy. Right. Um, I think it's, I think at this point, it's just kind of beyond his ken to even begin to think about what that all means, which is fortunate for me. But the, um, but, um, it was more, you know, Kids are trying to figure out where they fit in. They look for people that look like them, and Tay didn't look like anybody, and so that was kind of isolating, I think. But I don't, I don't get the impression now. There might have been a lot of stuff that went on that he's never told me about. I don't get the impression that kids were mean. Um, and I, you know, you and I have talked about how you know the, the community that we live in, kind of you know, people talk about it being Mayberry and all this stuff, <clears throat> and um, and. You know, I think I've used less kind language than this, but it's it's not that everybody gets along. It's that the price of being a jerk is pretty high, right? Right. I mean, if you're... <laughs> you're going to run into somebody at the grocery yeah. store and it'll come back and bite you in the ass. Yeah, and it's okay to be assertive, but you don't, you know, and, and to stick up for what you believe in, but you don't you don't want to be unnecessarily right. provocative and, and be a jerk and be selfish and all that stuff. And so, you know, I'm, 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 no, I'm no dummy. I, I realize that there's probably a fair amount of people out there that don't get it because I didn't get it until my kid went through that don't get it and don't understand it. And, and, you know, probably think that it's, you know, the devil's work or permissive parenting or something, but, but they, they, they understand that, you know, it, it's for, I hate this phrase. It's not politically correct to rag on it. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless, (laughs) regardless of what it is. Absolutely. And I I shared with you, uh, my wife and I saw a program over the summer where they were talking about this specific issue. And when they started talking about the propensity for suicide, it was like, all right, full stop. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Sure. You've got to do something to prevent that from happening. You've got to be accepting of it. And, and what you and and give Kara credit for it too, what y'all have done to, to support Tay, I think is, is fantastic. Yeah, no, it's, it's it couldn't have been easy for him and it can't be easy for y'all either. Yeah, no, it's I mean, you know, you've got a son and a and a daughter and it's a you know, it's a unique relationship with each one. And so, you know, to to you know, look if I'd if if you know, if I'd had two boys from the start, I wouldn't even think about it. But you know, you sort of think about 
what it's like to interact with a daughter versus what it's like to interact with a son. And now I'm interacting with two sons. But the, um, but it's not, you know, but that's even kind of selfish because it's not really about me. It's about making sure that my kid, you know, right. feels that they can do the best that they can regard, you know, and that they can be, you know, I, hate the, you know, I can be the best me I can be. Yeah. And, you, yeah. Know, you want them to, you want them to, to not feel that their potential is limited by anything so that's going on. Has the whole, uh, Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner thing, is that, Shed a positive light. If, if, I mean, and then there's, uh, there's a little bit of Hollywood hokiness to all of that, I think. But yeah, well, there's the inevitable Kurt Kardashian backlash. Um, so I have actually used this phrase like probably a dozen times now. It's just like, you know, if, if you're ever, you know, you talked about it, it'd be different when you and I were kids. I, I actually think it's the golden age of being trans for, for like yeah. a better phrase. I mean, because I think, you know, oh, and by the way, Transgender, yeah. that's the right term? Yeah, yeah, I think it, it probably is now for today. I mean, there's gender dysphoria and then there's transgender, and and it's, you know, it's it's all confusing mishmash. But the, um, but, um, I think that, you know, obviously there's a lot of people that, you know, he's, you know, he's a man, you know, that's, you know, Caitlin's a man, you know, but, right. but I think that's a lot of just the polarizing effect of being a member of that family. Um, I think that it's, that people get it a little bit more. I mean, there's what there's that Jeffrey Tambor TV show, transparent. Um, there's, I am jazz. Um, there's catfish, which has your fair amount yeah. of trans kids on. Yeah. And, um, there's, God, there's at least been like four or five other movies. I'm trying to remember. I've, I've, yeah. It's, yeah. it's more, it's more socially aware, but it's usually, it's usually, it's usually the other way. It's usually boys transition. I mean, uh, you know, you've got, Boys Don't Cry, you know, which was right. a movie about 10 the years The Crying ago. Game? The, yeah, The Crying Game was was uh, the other way. Although I think that was just transvestite. No, no, the, he actually did have breasts. So, yeah. I it, do too. Yeah, well, we, we all do at this point. <laughs> the, um, so there was, but but it's usually, it, except for Boys Don't Cry, um, it's usually the other. Yeah, it's that's a good point. I think about that. And, um, but I think it's just because it's easier. I mean, it's, you know, a, 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 a girl who wears jeans isn't going to be looked at as weirdly as a boy that wears a dress. Right. Right. And so it's, um, so it's, it's all, you know, it's, there's certainly, it's not the, you know, golly, I've never seen a black person before type issue, you know, that would have been 30 years ago. So what's, what's the, you know, my curiosity, you know, and I recognize it as as a legitimate um, psychological, and I don't even know if that's the right word. Condition. It's, it's, it's tough to pick what the right that, words are. But so I'm, I'm, you know, so forgive me, but no, that's right. Um, you know, uh, I know speaking, you know, from my point of view, and and you know, certainly my wife's point of view, as we <clears throat> react to the Caitlyn Jenners or the Bruce Jenners of the world, or we watch the shows that you're talking about or the movies. You know, yeah. I, we recognize it as. Which the funny thing is, I don't watch any of them. Well, oh, I, I, I'm not going to say that I do, but but I've heard of these shows, right? I, I actually did watch the Caitlyn Jenner interview with Barbara Walters, and I watched one episode of 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 uh, This Is Jazz, but that's pretty much but, it. But my curiosity is more of the journey because it's a it's it's not an easy journey; it's a difficult journey. Um, what what is the potential end goal? And, it, and what I mean by that is, if um, obviously she identifies. Uh, or he yeah, yeah, is, yeah. identifies himself as a boy, um, will that result in in uh, some kind of a sex change operation? If if you know what what's the end goal? Because if you're living as a certain person, you know, and you and you think that you're an, another type of person. When I say living, when you're when you're biologically a certain person, sure, you're living. Yeah. You know, so what's yeah, um, what's kind of the the common path? Yeah, I. I there's not, maybe not a common yeah, path. How do, how do, how do I put this? I know the range, yeah, but it's hard to tell where somebody's going to come out on. Okay, it. so it's it's so, many yeah. many many options and paths and yeah, and it's not as it's it's. So there's a scenario that Tay comes back not, in a year or two and says, "You know what? I was wrong." Yeah, I, and and the, you know this this it gets at a certain point it gets kind of, you know, it gets kind of individual and personal, but there's, there's no magic wand that gets yeah. waved. And so at every step along the way is, is identifying with, you know, 
what people would say is the opposite gender. It's what Kelly and I'm, and, and I'm, look, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. This is, you know, I'm, I'm getting a lot of this wrong, but you did ACL set. I'm just saying, <laughs> oh, that, that's it. And, and you were I, on TV and yeah. I slept <laughs> at, and I slept at a holiday. Yeah. So like, yes, you did. So, so the, um, what, what the doctors and the psychologists will tell you is that if there's a, if there's a range of progression from, you know, just cutting your hair short to, you know, going all in that you, that people tend to progress along the point at which they feel comfortable with themselves. But the, the concept of a, of a, uh, of a sort of medical solution that makes everything as if it, yeah. it had been the way you intended isn't really there. I mean, it's just not. And so, but I mean, don't you think, I mean, that's, I didn't think of it in the, I, I don't know enough Yeah, for one. Um, but I think that people, um, that aren't familiar with it, um, they think that there is that magic wand, that there is that direct path and, and, and to hear, you know, obviously you, you know, a lot um, yeah, and, have, yeah. and are experiencing, um, this. And so people need to kind of keep that in mind. Yeah. As, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it, it, you know, it's, I, I, anyway, there's, there's, you know, I'm trying to sort of keep this above board, but no, you know, I, no but, absolutely. but it, 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 there's just no, um, there's a wide range of outcomes and it, and it usually doesn't involve looking, you know, as if you'd been born correct. No. With the okay. So he has to choose his own path. Yeah. yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so the big question I have is, is right now today, do you feel that Tay is more content with who he is? Is he happier? Is he more secure and confident? And yeah. And it's, you know, I keep, I keep trying to talk to various, you know, institutions to see if I can get, you know, permission to run medical experiments in a controlled environment. <laughs> so you can't, you know, you can't, you can't control for everything. So, um, so there's always more than one thing going along on at once. I, I think, I think that for, for any kid, um, high school always feels more comfortable than middle school. Yeah. Um, but I would, I would say that, for for Tay, the going from middle school to high school, and also becoming sort of more comfortable in saying, you know, I'm a boy. Um, well, you also find confidence in high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's there. I mean, you guys may or may not know that there's actually an old GBT group at the high school. Okay. Yeah, and um, so you know, there's you can find people who sort of you know have a similar you know, interest and experience in you and you kind of feel there's more of a sense of belonging. There's a wider range of clubs and things to get involved in where you can just kind of get your own footing. So separating out the high school part of it with the idea of, of being more outwardly who Tay has always felt like he was inside. It's, it's hard to separate the two, but definitely my kid is definitely happier than I would say 18 months ago, but that's good. Yeah, that's really good. That's, which is well, which is, yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, there's other aspects of this, but you know, the funny thing about all the clubs at school, there, there's like a gazillion clubs at the high school. So, uh, one day they had a place where you could sign up for all these different clubs. And my daughter went to that, I don't know, like open house thing. And so people start clubs so they can put it on the resume for college and people join clubs so they can put it on the resume. So Lottie went around and joined every club she possibly could. <laughs> she joined the dyslexia club. She's not dyslexic. She was kind of mad because she wasn't uh, allowed to join the Asian Students Club. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> like, all right, but but join. That's great. Well, so you asked about why I went to school in California. At one point, at one point, um, I was a member of the University of California Berkeley uh, Law School Entertainment Law Society. There were three of us. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what they say. There's yeah, you may have fifty people on your rosters, but three people come to the meetings. One of us was the president. One was the chairman, and I think I can't. But we all basically had titles that made it look like we were in charge, right? And um, as cheesy as this sounds, the guy who I took it over from, I was talking this past weekend with one of my fellow, one of my fellow uh, officers. No, one of my fellow Bolties, uh, one of my fellow law school grads. And and I was saying we were sort of saying where where people become now, and I said, well, you remember that I was like you know, minister of, you know, I was, I was whatever the ministry of truth. I was, I was, you know, 
the prime minister of the of the Berkeley Entertainment Law Society one year because the chairman was off at work at MGM as a clinical and, and, and she was like, you know, I was like, you won't believe what, what he was doing last year. He was uh, ambassador to Australia. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you may not know this, but you, you are speaking to the chairman and the CEO of the Insignificant Others podcast. <laughs> yes. Well, that's yes. There, that's both a, of us. There's only two employees. Um, can I be uh, CFO or something? You can be our intern. <laughs> we can definitely let you be something. I mean, we've got plenty of openings is what it comes oh, down yes, to. Oh, yes. Yes. Richard, thank you so much for joining us. Your story is fascinating. Uh, thank you for sharing it. We, we really appreciate it. Well, thanks for yes. having me over and for the beer. Yeah, actually, is, is this podcast <laughs> sponsored by Michelob Ultra? It should be. We need to work on that immediately. We do. Michelob Ultra, if you're listening, you know where to find us. So once again, another episode of the Insignificant Others. The Insignificant Others. Thank you for joining us. Uh, once again, everybody has a story. Richard's story has been fascinating. I hope you enjoyed it. Our goal here is to illuminate the stories of the unique and interesting that are not famous. Thanks for being with us. <laughs>